Hello and welcome to the ICAW Insights podcast with news and analysis from the world of accountancy, business and finance. I'm Philippa Lamb and in this episode, we're looking at inflation, capital allowance reform and the ongoing delays to R&D processing with Martin Wheatcroft, who's a financial strategy consultant and advisor on public finances to ICAEW, and ICAEW's technical manager on business tax, Richard Jones. Inflation is rising at a record pace across the world, triggered by the pandemic and exacerbated by a perfect storm of global events, including the war in Ukraine. Now, while there are some benefits to high inflation, overall, the impact will be significantly negative, particularly if the situation persists beyond the short term. So what are the specific causes of inflation? What are the potential economic impacts? And what will it mean for public finance? Martin Wheatcroft is with me now. Thanks for coming in, Martin. You're welcome. Now, inflation is showing... Very little sign of slowing up, if any. How high do you think it could go? Well, the the Bank of England think that it could go as high as 11%, and they're very much hoping that it will peak and then start to come down next year. You've got a huge amount of pressures on prices. There's the post-pandemic demand that's driving uh, what was an economic recovery. You've got the energy supply problems with the Russian sanctions and and refining capacity problems. And you've got significant supply constraints, uh, particularly in China and with the UK war affecting food. Monthly inflation is sort of picking up. Uh, We're now sort of getting towards 1.5% a month. And in theory, that should slow down as last year's inflation starts to drop out of the numbers. Okay. And that's why the Bank of England think it will peak and then come back down next year. But they are concerned about a wage price spiral where wage demands start to push up inflation even more and keep the, the cycle going. So how are policymakers responding to this? Well, the first thing is higher interest rates from the Bank of England, and they describe this as taking the foot off to the accelerator. They've they've had the foot on the accelerator of low interest rates, trying to boost the economy for a decade or, or more. Sure. And so they're taking the foot off the accelerator. They're, they are starting to raise rates, but they haven't yet got into the stage of really constraining demand and getting interest rates up to a to a higher level. Yeah, they've been cautious, haven't they? Yes, they have, yeah. The government is trying to control wages, particularly in the public sector, where they have some control, and encouraging what they call sensible wage demands, and how successful that's going to be, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Governments are also trying to persuade OPEC and the oil and gas producing nations to pick up production as oil and gas prices are one of the biggest drivers to to what's going on with inflation. And private sector should respond to market signals. If prices are going up, that, that means that there's an opportunity for the private sector to come in and sell more or take advantage of those higher prices. And that should improve supply where demand is, is the issue. So if we look at the broader economy, what's this all going to mean? Well, for for household budgets, it's a whole mixed picture. For for some, it's just a matter of spending the savings we built up during the pandemic. Uh, for many people who worked from home, no longer had commuting bills, etc., quite substantial sums were built up. And we are seeing some of that. That's one of the drivers of inflation with people now going on holiday, long delayed holidays, etc., Not Uh, everyone's so fortunate. But not everyone is so fortunate. And there's a severe squeeze, the lowering end of the income scale going on 
And there's an expected slowdown in the housing market, uh, which has been hot for several years. But as interest rates rise, yes, and mortgages should, get more expensive. Mortgages get more expensive. Yeah. What about business? There's a real dilemma for business because you've got higher input costs going on, and do you increase prices or not? You've got wage demands and higher cost of borrowing, which will affect your investment decisions, whether investments are like to pay back. So what that means for the economy is is difficult to tell because uh, there's millions of businesses all making decisions based on a very different environment than it was a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's a complex picture, isn't it? So combination of high inflation, potentially higher interest rates. What's that going to mean for government and the public finances, do you think? Well, there's a short-term and a long-term aspect to this. In the, in the short term, the Treasury has some real dilemmas at the moment. You've got wage demands, strikes, obviously, that uh, we've seen recently, and they're likely to pick up. And, and you've got higher procurement costs. And that's going to really affect the ability of government to deliver things they've said they're going to deliver. And if you think about uh, the capital investment programme, for example, the government increased that by 10% in the spending review last year. But now that 10% extra money is just going to be absorbed by inflation and won't actually deliver extra infrastructure on the ground. And they're Um, going to be looking for efficiency savings. Exactly. So uh, there will be a lot of lobbying for more money from from government departments. And the Treasury is likely to cave a little on that. But uh, you do have the extended disruption that's likely from strikes as, as that happens. And you're going to have issues about delivery of, of for example, the government's levelling up plans where money's not just going to go as far as it has. Yes, we talked about this in a previous podcast. You can see how that's going to be an issue. So we do see that, particularly where you've got a government that's very keen on getting ready for some tax cuts uh, ahead of the next general election. They're looking for savings. They're looking to find money. And all around them, you've got cost pressures really coming home at the moment. Yes, I mean, the general election isn't that far away now, is it? So presumably the pressure for that is is mounting? It is, and I I suspect it's just a matter of time before we get some announcements on that side. There is another side to this, which is the longer-term side. So there is one big benefit of inflation from the public sector finances perspective, which is that your GDP goes up much, much faster And that brings down your debt-to-GDP ratio. And that's the key metric that government really uses to know how it's doing. So a year or two of inflation, uh, of high inflation, is actually quite good from a Treasury point of view, even if it brings with it lots of short-term pain. You were mentioning a point about quantitative easing there. Yes, quantitative easing has had the effect of pushing down interest rates. It's a very big interest rate swap uh, that has swapped a lot of government fixed rate debt uh, along maturities into short-term Bank of England deposits, uh, which pay the Bank of England rate. And as interest rates go up and as the Bank of England tries to control inflation, it will start to unwind its quantitative (laughs) easing program. And that will start to push up interest rates even more. So it's accelerated to the whole process, which uh, means that we are going to see a very different economic environment over the next few years. There's a lot of negatives. Do you see any benefits to this period of high inflation, particularly from a corporate point of view? Uh, Yes. I mean, high inflation has some real benefits to allow businesses to adjust in a way that they can't in a period of low inflation. So it's much easier to give someone a salary rise that's slightly lower than inflation than it is to cut their pay. 
And that allows business to adjust and respond to different market conditions in a way that it, it's much more difficult in a period of, of low inflation. And similarly, does that presumably means that pricing levels are a bit more easily adjusted too? Correct, yes. So businesses that may have struggled to put up prices may find it a, a lot easier to put up prices if all your competitors are putting up prices you can adjust your prices in a way and particularly address products, for example, or services where you've been underpricing for a while and found it difficult to adjust in the face of the market conditions. Now's the time uh, to fix that. Obviously, there's a downside from the consumer perspective, as we know. Indeed. And we've got this acceleration in, in the reduction of debt, the GDP ratio you mentioned earlier. Yes. And that's very good news for the government, as I said, in the, in the longer term. It does bring debt a, a bit under control we're still on an unsustainable path for the public finances. It really helps in the in the longer term to bring it down, but at the expense of making us all a little poorer. Yes, because I mean, generally, high inflation, not a good thing, especially if it persists right across the board. The effect is adverse. It is. It shakes up the economy. There's some opportunities there to take advantage of that, but it comes with a lot of difficulty, particularly at the lower end of the income scale, affecting living standards. It drives industrial disputes, as we're seeing. And it becomes very, very painful if it gets out of control. We're hoping it will start to come down next year. And and that's certainly the, the hope of the Bank of England and other central banks. But who knows? We're going to move on now to capital allowances and as the end of the super deduction approaches, the government is considering reforms to capital allowances to support and encourage business investment. ICAW has responded to the government plans and I'm joined now by Richard Jones from ICAW's tax faculty to talk them through and to look at the ongoing delays to R&D processing. Hello, Richard. Hi, Philippa. How are you doing? Thanks for coming in. Now, the super deduction, that gave companies substantially enhanced deductions on qualifying plant and machinery investments. Why is capital allowance reform being discussed now? Well, as you say, the super deduction is coming to an end next year. And so in the spring statement that the Chancellor made back in March, he announced what he called a tax plan. And part of that involved looking at ways to incentivise more economic growth. And one of the ways in which the government is looking to do that is to encourage businesses to invest more, particularly in their plants and equipment. And it's looking at the capital allowances regime as a key driver to ensure that that happens. And what are they proposing? So, as I said, the the government is focusing specifically on the allowances available for plant and machinery. Now, just in case um, some of the listeners aren't aware of what that means, it includes things that you would think of as machinery, like machines in in manufacturing but it also includes things like fixtures within buildings things that you might think of as actually part of the building like the hot and cold water systems electrical systems okay and also things like furniture it equipment so it covers quite a broad range of things but what it specifically excludes is the building itself so what it's looking at is five alternative reforms And what it's done is it's estimated the likely cost to the exchequer for each of those. Now, I won't go through all five um, because we won't have time. But they range from increasing the permanent level of the annual investment allowance, which is essentially 100% allowance for planet machinery, through to actually doing away with the AIA and essentially providing a full revenue deduction for all forms of plant and machinery. Which sounds generous, but I don't think you're that impressed, are you? What's your feeling about the government proposals? So when we saw the 
policy paper, as it's called, we we reached out to our members and volunteers to see what their thoughts were. And a lot of them were saying, well, you know, capital allowances, they're actually more of a reward for investing rather than incentive. If you think about it, one of the reasons for that is because the benefit that you get from the allowance arises some years after the actual investment is made. And so therefore, it is a little bit more like a reward than an incentive. So what we've been trying to do is get some ideas from our members as to ways in which the regime could be made more incentivising. OK, now I know you've made a raft of recommendations. Do you want to run us through the most significant ones? Yes. Yeah, so if I go through some of the things that we've been saying in our response. So the first thing really is try to make the system simpler and try to stop making quite so many changes. We've noticed, for example, the the AIA that I mentioned just now, that's actually changed six times in the course of 14 years, which if you think is an average of a change every two years. It's a lot, isn't it? So what we're saying is, if you want to make a change, make a change, but please then keep it the same for at least six or seven years. This particularly affects businesses that are on the margins of whether they're using up their full AIA. So that will give them a little bit more certainty as to the allowances that they've got available. Another thing we've been thinking about is, can the government make these allowances a little bit more targeted? And in our response, we've been looking at three key things, who, what and where. OK, should we take the who first? Yeah, sure. So, for example, what are the types of businesses that they're looking to encourage? Is it, for example, manufacturing? And I know, for example, that in Italy, there are specific allowances available to manufacturing companies. Could they copy those kind of incentives? Also, are they looking to focus more on small businesses or, or larger companies? Those different forms of business, different size of business will be impacted by different forms of allowances. So maybe they could be looking where they want to focus their attention. OK. And the what? Yes. Yeah, so what we've been thinking about is... What are the uh, government's other priorities? What are their other policy agendas that they might actually help to benefit through the capital allowances system? For example, the government has a target to reduce the UK's uh, net zero carbon emissions to zero by 2050. So could it use the capital allowances regime, for example, to encourage businesses to invest in more energy efficient plant and machinery, for example? It's also been concerned about the death of the high street so could it provide specific incentives to high street retailers? And the where? Yes, so the final policy agenda we've heard a lot from, uh, a lot about from the government is the levelling up agenda. Yes. So could it provide specific incentives for specific areas in, well, basically outside of the southeast, so in the north of Midlands, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland? And you're talking about enterprise zones, an old idea. Yes. I mean, that was something that was very big in the 80s. Yeah. And of course, one of the most famous of those was uh, London Docklands, which obviously is in the southeast. But that had a huge impact on that particular area. And now it's a major financial centre, to a large extent, helped by the enterprise zone that was set up in the 80s. And you'd like to see more of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I say, focused more in other parts of the country. But we think that by focusing the government's incentives rather than providing a broad brush approach, actually focusing on the areas that it wants to encourage, that could actually help to make it more targeted and cost effective. One of the other things that we've been looking at also is how can we make the existing allowances more of an incentive? And really, it's around bringing forward the timing of the benefit. So, for example, moving perhaps more towards grants rather than allowances. And also loss-making companies miss out here because essentially if they get an allowance, all that's doing is it's, it's making an, an already existing loss bigger. 
So one of the things it could do is model another area of the tax regime, which we're going to come on to talk about, which is R&D tax credits. So loss-making companies get a cashback credit rather than an allowance. So they could potentially do that with the capital allowances and help those loss-making companies. Interesting idea. Mm. Yeah, shall we move on to these uh, R&D processing questions? Because we're seeing delays there, aren't we? What's causing those delays? Yes, so one of the problems that HMRC is seeing is there's there's been an uptick in what they're calling non-genuine claims. Essentially, these are claims which relate to expenditure that either doesn't exist or that doesn't qualify for R&D tax relief. So fraud and mistakes. Yes, unfortunately. And so the revenue has noticed that it's basically taking adding additional checks to the inquiry process that it already carries out, which is meaning that at the moment claims are being turned around around about 40 days on average rather than the standard 28-day processing time that they've been trying to adhere to. So it's a lot more, isn't it? What sort of impact is this having on businesses? Yes, yeah, so there's a couple of key things there. Firstly, obviously, businesses and their advisors are going to have to wait longer to have their claims looked at. And that includes totally valid um, and acceptable claims, including those that have been already been through what's called the advance assurance process. So essentially, this is kind of a pre-check that the revenue carries out for smaller companies. So they're going to be impacted as well as perhaps more marginal claims. But I see HMRC has asked uh, that people don't chase them up as it just causes more delay. Well, absolutely. And and that's understandable because, you know, having worked in a, a customer facing environment before, being chased up on something obviously distracts you from doing the, the real work. So we, we understand that plea. I mean, what's your sense? That they're saying they're hoping to hit 40 days. Is your sense that that's going to happen? Well, I guess we just have to wait and see. Obviously, the more uh, resources that they can devote to it, the the better. And, you know, um, HMRC has had a lot of problems with the pandemic, dealing in particular with a lot of the pandemic-related reliefs that were made available, which, of course, now are coming to an end. So, So hopefully that means that it will have more resources available going forward. So the advice for members dealing with these sort of delays would be... Yes, so there are a few key things that HMRC has suggested to help with claims. So the first one is just making sure that you submit your claims correctly. So make sure that all of the entries that you would need to complete on the R&D section of the CT600, which is the corporation tax return, are completed correctly. The other key thing, which is is really a a very good advice all the way since the R&D tax relief regime has been in place, is to make sure you submit an R&D report. And basically what that does is summarises the project that's carried out and also all of the expenditure that's being claimed on. That's always been a good thing to do. And now more than ever, if HMRC sees a good quality report, it's probably more likely to be more amenable or acceptable to it than uh, something that looks a little bit more suspect. Clear the path a little yes, bit. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, reviewing the latest guidance. Yes, absolutely. The guidance on corporation tax returns changes every year. And often when you Google it, you'll see old versions of revenues guidance. So make sure you're always looking at the most up-to-date version. Oh, yeah, that's a useful point. Eh? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, thanks very much indeed. Really useful. No problem. That's it for today. Thanks to Martin Wheatcroft and Richard Jones for being with us. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and share it. And of course, subscribe to ICAW Insights wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.